Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Glad that we have restarted, in fact, the, uh, the new chapters of Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. Uh, and... This new season, in fact, we are going to start with someone that I know already for, for close to 15 years. And we are going to talk about a topic that is re- very dear to my heart. Uh, and it's about talking about building bottom-up driven innovation. And the reason why I want to talk to, about it is that very often we believe that innovation is a one-off exercise that we do for a couple of months where we push a lot of technology, a, a couple of workshops, and things are going to be self-sustainable. But no, the reality is that the challenge for many organizations is to have uh, an innovation culture, which is basically having a shared set of values, beliefs, behaviors that in fact support this innovation continuously in an organization. So despite that you you are done with the initial effort, people continue in fact to experiment, take risk, bring new ideas. They already have all these how could it, uh, how can I call it? I, I kind of redundant and recurrent uh, behaviors in order to continue challenging the status quo. And there are many organizations that work on that already. Like we can mention about Google, and Google already is quite quite innovative, and they have a, this this culture. Uh, the company, for instance, has a, a, a number of programs and initiatives that support innovation, such as the one about the vote where employees have 20% of the time to devote to work on other projects uh, on their own choosing. Uh, the same happens with the, another company called 3M, uh, where there is the 15% rule, which allows employees to spend 15% of the work time on projects on their own choosing too, uh, even if they are not related to the current job. So there is many examples like that. And what I wanted to have this time is to have the, the vision, the approach of some, somebody who has gone through this different type of setups in organizations. So, and I wanted to, to introduce to you Mikola Taxe. So he has an impressive career in corporate innovation, many locations. Uh, for instance, he has been based in Switzerland, which is where I met him for the first time, maybe 15, 16 years ago. He has been working in Ukraine, in Israel, in Belgium, uh, in different corporate innovation uh, positions. And one of the most interesting part of his experience is that he has worked in some organizations that were already struggling with their transformation journey. Mikola is, even though his background is in marketing, he's not a typical marketeer. He blends innovation and change tools so that innovation becomes the thing that organizations always do. And it's not just a one-off. Mikola, I'm so happy to have you with me today. And I wanted to discuss a little bit more about your personal experience. Tell me more about how did you how did you go through these different type of environments through through these different uh, type of companies and what was the, the the major learning that you have got out of your experience? Cool. Thanks a lot for the introduction. Indeed, we 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 met so many years ago in a completely different circumstances, and this is amazing and mind blowing uh, where we are now. You are running this fantastic uh, podcast and and YouTube channel, 
um, I'm doing corporate innovations. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, I'm a marketing guy, but not really, not like standard marketing guy, which is kind of intriguing already, by the way, <laughs> because I do think that marketing people need to be innovators, but mm -hmm. we can talk about that in details, obviously. Now, about my, my path, my, my professional path, uh, as you mentioned already, it started in a multinational and I spent close to 15 years in a in a in a multinational company where we met <clears throat> and usually people you know say oh my god you must have been so bored uh, for 15 years sometimes i was uh, but probably i was lucky enough to change like paths geographies jobs vertically horizontally which is great and yep. i think this is how i actually ended up in the in the corporate innovations eventually because uh, I, I I kind of became marketing director for the for the big market, like top ten market for the company, and then I, I felt that the marketing that we're doing is a bit like old schoolish and a bit of artificial, if I may use this word, you know, made up type of thing. And this is where I tried to to search for new things for me at least, and I came across design thinking. And I know you had the mm -hmm. couple of videos and couple of people talking about design thinking in particular. And I was really fascinated about this human-centered approach to everything, including products, services, and marketing as well. And I tried to implement this approach in, in, in marketing function of the corporate. Failed, obviously. Failed <laughs> <laughs> that as well. But I got spotted. And when, when, when the company was looking for someone to open up so-called an innovation center, or at that time we called it innovation outpost in Israel, it's a top 10 uh, global innovation ecosystem. Innovation ecosystem means, you know, in terms of number of startups, in terms of investments, in terms of exits, in terms of VCs, venture capitalists, funds, etc. So it's a big ecosystem, Israel. They said, okay, there's a weird guy, a marketing director in Ukraine. He likes all this Scrum, Agile, and things like that. So let's send them there. So this was my formal beginning of, of the corporate innovation route. After that, um, I, I ran my own consultancy in the field of business transformation, including uh, innovations, both corporate innovations and corporate entrepreneurship. And I hope we have time to discuss that because it's a very important topic for, for most of the organizations these days, especially the large mm -hmm. ones. And after that, it was through consultancy that I was offered, uh, again, as kind of internal startup position as a chief innovation officer in one, in one of the largest uh, agrarian slash food companies in Ukraine with a bid of 500 million dollars 2022 and then we had big plans uh, which were interrupted by the war um, and now I'm, I'm 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 back to marketing let's put it this way with more focus on um I would say uh, innovations, but not in a technological sense, but in terms of change management within the company, like, you know, tuning the, the strategic focus and really trying to get things through um, in, in the company, in marketing, but also beyond marketing. So that's that's a bit of a path. Mikola, you mentioned it, and you use the, the word, they, they spotted the weird guy. 
And, yeah. and that's the flavor you gave me the first <laughs> time I saw you. Because you were a rare mix. Like, if I didn't know you, I wouldn't have guessed that you were a marketeer. I mean, we were in a setup of marketing. I still remember. But you had this ability to, for analytics to put problems in little small pieces. I don't know. I would have guessed that you were a mathematician or an engineer or something like that. I don't <laughs> even know if you you studied engineering, yeah. by the way. Um, so that's the first part. The second part is that as I have been following up a little bit what you have been doing, your postings in LinkedIn, your uh, social media presence, you have been talking more and more of this aspect of change management. And when we talk right. about change management, we are talking about the people because innovation cannot happen without the people because otherwise you have resistance and maybe that's why sometimes when we want to do a transformation in, in an organization it, it doesn't really it fails because basically people are resistant to any change because they were not on board that we, we didn't consider the psychological aspect of, of of change if it is already so difficult for us to, to to change in an individual manner when we have like i don't know and we are not that super uh patient with our children. We were talking about children just before. When yes. we are not patient with our children, it's difficult to change. Uh, when we are not listening to our wives, it's, it's a little bit difficult. So especially in times of big changes, our brain fires up the fear, uh, yeah. natural resistance. Uh, and this is often disregarded because organizations oversimplify believing that innovation is the reward that everybody expects. That everybody wants change. Everybody wants technology. No, no it's it's it's, it's vice versa, Eva. Nobody wants to yeah. change. Uh, yeah. Maybe like at, at at max ten percent of the organization, like Simon Sinek is, is saying that you need to have like fifteen percent of the early adopters or trendsetters in the organization, and then you get the ball rolling. But it yeah. is very rarely that you have those fifteen percent like this. Yes. Change yeah. is pain. Change mm -hmm. is stress. Change is something that we biologically and physically try to avoid. Mm. It is therefore uh, very important to do something with it. And I mean, the numbers are are not lying. 80% uh, of the CEOs are saying that innovation and change, because for me, those things are a bit equal, to be honest with you, uh, are going to be the growth drivers of the business, right? 80%, mm. 8 out of 10. And it's only one seven, 17% of the CEOs who are happy with their innovation agenda. And I think, or at least my experience tells, tells me, uh, is that one of the reasons why this gap exists between the intention and like actual results is the fact that they or we forget about the people. Because yeah. without the human-centered approach to, to innovations, to change management is just impossible. It doesn't work. You can change the processes and systems. Yes, that helps to change the behavior as well. But unless you do proper, unless you put yourself in the shoes of your people, stakeholder groups, if we want to sound professional and official, right. stakeholder groups, no way you can implement this sustainable change and sustainable innovation uh, efforts. Um, that's why that's why uh definitely the step number one if we want innovation to happen is having a vision and having the commitment of the top right ceo and the board 
and maybe the top management team. But definitely the, the step number two, which cannot be avoided, is understanding the needs of your people. Uh, and when I say your people, it means consumers, customers, partners, but also employees. Right? Mm. And it's only when, when you do understand those things and you can craft your engagement plans, communication plans, change management plans, you can really get the sustainable results. Because for instance, I was consulting the, the, a very successful IT company back like three, four years ago. And I mean, making a lot of money, huge plans, transformation agenda and things like that. But people are disengaged because, and, and you can feel it because the I, I always start from interviewing different people, like picking like two, three people from various, again, stakeholder groups, management, employees, sales, marketing, delivery, et cetera, et cetera. And you can sense it because it, it 40 minutes of talking is enough to have a bit of empathy, you know, to break the ice and then carefully uh, get the real feedback. And when people are afraid to challenge status quo, when they cannot speak up, when there is no culture to constructively challenge each other at the meetings, uh, you know, because it is perceived as a as an act of aggression, mm. feedback, challenge. It was clear that we cannot talk about transformations or introducing like profound changes in the organization unless we change these basic things. And usually, this is being forgotten, and uh, that's why the failure rate of of of, of innovations and within the companies but also overall change management efforts is very high, up to 70%. Yeah, so that, this is very important. And I'm, 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 I, really, I really love that you're raising it. Uh, but then the question is, what is the culture, right? And, and how to change it? So it's, it's a holy uh, grail of, of all these uh, business transformations. And I, I do think that it's about daily habits. It's about what you do every day differently and then basically you know the behaviors they lead to the change of of, of culture it's not about printing the the posters with with your corporate values and hanging them on the walls that will help to change the the culture no but this is exactly uh, the point that i wanted to highlight that it, still with a couple of companies that have been either working with or opening the dialogue about innovation, it happens that they believe that innovation, it is the consequence of implementing digitalization. For instance, we are going to digitalize the whole, the whole processes. Um, and very often they, they will not look at the, the human aspect, this friction that mm -hmm. is going to be in order to implement. And already the implementation is going to be a challenge because nobody wants to use the tool that they, they have paid millions. Uh, yeah. and, so it is, it is, there is a still a big chunk of organizations that that completely forget the human aspects, uh, but we can already visualize a couple of red flags when we meet them, uh, that they are going to have, th th there is going to be a, a potential risk of failure because they are not looking at the uh, at the psychological aspect of the organization. Uh, and and as, as you mentioned, so it is going to be the, the lack of 
of involvement with the um, uh, with the um, employees is going to be this lack of candid talking that you were saying that if we if we are not able to say the things as they are because we are too politically correct we cannot change everybody's going to be nice and hugging and nobody's going to move forward uh, yeah. so there is a couple of aspects that 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 look important uh, and still very often disregarded um, do I mean, this concept and, and the title of this session is about can organizations really make bottom-up driven organizations? So now let, let, let's play the devil's advocate and, and think, is it really, is there any really good examples of bottom-up? Uh, uh, no, let's do the opposite of the top-down yeah. top down organizations where there is a boss who has this vision uh, yeah. and he, Subsists to to uh, to that yeah. the whole organization is engaged. Maybe that that will help us to organize our thought about if it is just a dream of having bottom yeah. up dream of innovation or not. So yeah. I, in this side of top down. Listen, I think the short answer it is a dream, and the explanation for that is the following, at least from my experience and from from what I hear from other people talking about innovations. There is never 100% top down. There is never 100% bottom up. Seriously, it's a it's a it's a mix. It's a balance. It's an equilibrium. Imagine there is a CEO who does not believe in innovations. You know, business as usual. We've been doing this forever. It led to our business growth. So what's the point to change, right? And there is a group of people accidentally working in this company that wants to do things differently. What kind of reaction would you expect? Not a good reaction from the CEO. Mm -hmm. Guys, stop wasting your time. You know, go and do things like we did it, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. So 100% bottom up doesn't work. Imagine there is an opposite example, 100% top down. I will give you an example. Do you think Steve, do you consider Steve Jobs an innovator, a visionary? What do you think? Well, the, the, there is something about uh, about Steve Jobs uh, in terms of the discipline that he had in order oh, to go harsh. into one direction. He was harsh. <laughs> yeah, he was like a boom, boom, yes. Exactly. He had an idea and he had to do it. Everything for design or okay. whatever I, it I was would, the idea. I would call him an innovator and, and a visionary because, you know, mm. he changed the world. I mean, with, let's go. Let, let's not go into details, but I, I mean, I, I think he was. But the question is, would he succeed as Apple, right, as one of the uh, most valuable companies now these days, without support of engineers, uh, developers, and all the people, all these thousands of people in the organization? I don't think so. So means there is no hundred percent top down. That's why it's somewhere in between. I can tell you for sure, for sure, that if you want to kill your innovation efforts, you need to start from the CEO who either does not believe or is hesitant about innovations. If you have a CEO like this, you will never succeed. Hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. So, uh, of course, uh, the, there are um, examples of companies. 
I mean, some you already mentioned, like like three M's, right? This famous story about someone inventing the post-it, right? And post-it becoming like a wow thing in, in that, that everyone uses. Uh, companies are now investing a lot of time and efforts into something that is called corporate entrepreneurship, meaning that the companies are releasing part of resources, time, money, etc., for employees to come up with not ideas. It's not a you know the the the, the box that you put on reception that says your idea is welcome. No, they're inspiring and giving resources to employees to come up with solutions. Right, and those solutions they go through the funnel, this innovation funnel, from idea down to prototype and test. And one, not one, but those who are tested successfully, employees become partners in that part of business. This is a proper way to do bottom-up innovations, I think. Uh, but this changes the whole um, relationship model between the company and the and the employee. It is no longer about employer and employee. It's about partners in a in a in a in a in a small part of business or large part of business. That's why a lot of companies, successful companies, banks in particular, fintech, uh, insurance companies, they're doing spin-offs when their employees or the teams of employees are designing the product that becomes a standalone company. Obviously, the mother company, the parent company has, you know, part of equity, right? But they can either acquire that that start startup, corporate startup, or that it can become a, a you know, a standalone uh, company offering services to other players of the industry. And this is how basically the innovations from within uh, become also, you know, firms and companies that can be successful outside the parent business. I think it's very, 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 um, how do you call it? Mm, high potential model that uh, most of modern and advanced companies either pursue already or will be pursuing in the nearest future. Obviously, it requires a lot of change management and a lot of communication and a lot of engagement. Uh, and sometimes resources to to free free up this creativity from from personnel from employees uh, to generate extra revenue streams. Mikola, mm. uh, so if if I understand correctly, there is different models to establish to, if we want to have um, this bottom up approach, or as you say, is not one hundred percent bottom up, but just partially bottom up. So yes. we have the possibility of either one big bang across the organization we take a big excuse and we say let's digitalize for instance and yeah. it becomes an effort of digitalization only across the whole organization then there is the the model where you would say let's create um, an entity where everything is possible it's not following the same rules as the rest of the organization yes uh in order to that this approach we become successful they the, should be should the employees should be permanent or it should be an exchange between the mother company and yep. this lab or mini startup inside the, of the organization and exchange. You spend three months, you work on a project, you go back so that you, people can benefit and it can at least prepare them in terms of the mindset, how to do the things. Because innovation is not about having great ideas. Everybody can have a, great ideas that do not have 
any value, but they look cool. Uh, but more about knowing the process, using design thinking, using other processes, or even these regular behaviors in order to generate the ideas that happens every single day. That's something that we can practice, in fact. Look, both models are possible. And again, it's a strategic choice. Uh, for instance, I was working in the company where the I offered two models uh, for the CEO saying, look, we can build a lab, an innovation lab, and therefore we will need to sit in a different building. We will not talk to the organization that is doing the, the classic business model of the firm, okay? In six months, we will come back to you with the portfolio of solutions. Model number two, we sit in the same building, okay? We contaminate organization with our innovation virus. They pay attention to us. They want to be like innovators. Some of them, not everyone, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that comes with a price. We will be slower, okay? <laughs> and we will have a lot of barriers on our way because mm -hmm. we're sitting within the, you know, the conventional business. He chose the second option because he wanted to contaminate. I, I deliberately use this word. Maybe it's not that right in English, but it's like a virus. You spread the, the innovation virus across the organization. Exactly to this reason, he said, look, I will make sure, and that's the best part of a good CEO, I will make sure that you, haven't, you, you don't have any barriers, at least when it comes to common sense, you don't have barriers, Meanwhile, you make sure that you have the quick wins, you build the portfolio of innovative solutions, you know, short-term, mid-term, long-term, and you engage the rest of the organization via cross-functional teams, hmm. okay? And that wasn't easy because, you know, when you invite people or they get nominated to cross-functional teams, you get the best people from different parts of the business, from different departments, but those usually come with their already kind of set workload and they perceive you as an innovation uh, project as something on top of their daily job. Yep. That's why if you want really to, to, to uh, again, have this innovation virus spread across the organization, don't forget about your performance management system, please. Don't forget about your KPIs. Don't forget about freeing up time, like you mentioned, Google with 20% time that they can reinvest. And I think they can reinvest it only to Google projects, by the way, not to their own projects. Mm -hmm. Their own within Google. Yep. That's 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 the way, right? That's a, that's a small difference, but very, very important one. So yeah, both models are possible, right? It really depends on what you're working on. Because, for instance, if you're working on as an innovation group, innovation department, um, if you're working on a so-called Horizon 3 innovations, which are really disruptive and bring your company to new business models outside of your current business model, probably it's not the best option to sit within the, the, the business. It's better to be outside because otherwise the, the conventional business will be really like not helping. Whereas if you're working on horizon one, which is like, let's say, how can we do things better type yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Still doing these things, the things that we're doing now, 
but better, more efficiently. Digitalization, um, I don't know, robotization, AI, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but not fundamentally changing the business model. Then I would recommend to sit inside and attract the best people into your innovation lab while keeping the doors open, not hiding behind the closed doors. Hmm. Mikola, I wanted to come back to this concept of virality of innovation. This virality of innovation is not about the what people are working on, it's not about that they are going to be learning about technology because we are working on an innovation on technology. It's more about this mindset, this set of rules that, or, or set, the mentality that you have as, a, uh, as an innovator. Let me give you an, uh, an example that is more related to, to myself. Like for instance, when I wanted to become an entrepreneur, I one of the first things that I did is to hang around entrepreneurs in technology. So that I can, and it wasn't about learning the technology itself. It was about understanding their mindset. How do they think? What in terms of the risk aversity? In terms of uh, investing uh, in in a in a project? In terms of managing their time, uh, balancing their time. So it's the set of behaviors that make you an innovator. It's not the what people are working on. It's the how they are working that is is viral. It impregnates on, in you, and then you change the your old ways of being by miming, if you want, this this uh, environment. What is your opinion on that, Nicola? Um, look, um, I will give you three or maybe four uh, examples of very simple tools that I believe are uh, extremely efficient. First of all, is um, it's a it's it's the most popular question among innovators what if so if you manage what if is the question right if you manage within your small team or large team of innovators to cultivate this this um, risk-free environment when where people can ask the question what if mm. that's a that's a huge step forward second is also very simple when working on a project, when trying to solve a, a complex issue, when brainstorming within the team, try not to say yes, but when we're talking, when you're talking about the idea or anything, ask your team to say yes and. Hmm. It's so simple, almost like, oh, really? But it helps so much. And third, which is very much connected to what you said about mingling with, with people, with communities, uh, tech, for example, anything. There is a thing that I, I, I personally love called knowledge brokering. For instance, we have an issue or we have a problem of, um, let's say, feedback culture in the organization, right? People do not perceive uh, feedback as as something that helps them to grow. Mm. We don't know how to deal with it. So what we do, we get three people, five people from absolutely different companies. Let's say we're doing FMCG. I'm getting a person from bank. I'm getting the person from, um, uh, I don't know, IT. I'm getting the person from, from somewhere else. And I'm asking them, them, them the question, have you ever encountered, encountered encountered an issue like this and they say yes 
So I'm doing a bit of a pre-screening. And then they invite those people to tell their story, how they addressed similar issue. Now, it's not a copy-paste because we're so much different. We're from different industries, different geographies, different environments, but it makes you think and it makes you apply the experience from absolutely different context to your own context. And this is where we breed innovative ideas. So at least those three things, if companies do, if leaders do, again, what if, yes, and instead of yes, but, and cross uh, whatever, brokering, knowledge brokering is the name. If you do this, trust me, your teams are going to come with, with much better and much more feasible ideas as well. Because it's, you know, innovation is about three things. It's about desirability, viability, and feasibility. Now, cool idea, if it doesn't bring the business value and you can make it, what for? If it's a cool idea uh, that brings potentially business value, but you cannot make it, stupid. If you cannot make it, uh, it potentially brings money to the company or whatever KPIs you put, but nobody needs it. And, and the point that you're mentioning, Mikola, is super important uh, because it means also that these seniors of an organization have to be trained on these three dimensions that you are to spot, to understand these three dimensions, because yeah. otherwise they go their own ways. And it means just because I like it, let's do a project on AI. Let's do a yeah. project with robots. Everyone, uh, everyone is doing AI. Let's do it as well. Exactly. So, but, but that comes because the decision makers, the one approving the either the experiments or the minimum viable products are the ones who don't have like a frame of reference to take the decisions correctly. Because right. it's about like betting, like in uh, like investing or something like that. And they need to be very mindful about where they're putting an, uh, an investment that is going to last uh, uh, maybe a long time. Um, Mikola, one of the, I'm pretty sure that this experience that you had uh, as, uh, as an entrepreneur um, was quite important in order to determine and acquire a lot of knowledge about how uh, innovation works in, like you have multiplied the number of connections with new organizations and you have seen the best and the worst, <laughs> right? So. I, I want to do an exercise with you. The, uh, you have a magic wand and yeah. one of these organizations, like let's say an, um, uh, one of the top 500 organizations in, the, um, uh, in, in the New York Stock Exchange is asking right. you to be their CEO and you have to deal with an organization that is used to make money and suddenly they want to transform. What could be the, the first initial things that you would be working on uh, <laughs> in your such a good first question. three months? Ivan. Okay, I, 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 as I understand, uh, I, I have to take uh, the position of the CEO, right? Was you don't have the choice, Mikola. All right, all right, all right. Netherlands is expensive, Mikola. You have to take it. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, I'm, I'm very confident with the first step. The first step has to be the answer to the question, why are we transforming? What do we want to get out of it? Seriously. And 
if we need to spend three months cracking this question, then we need to spend three months. Because transformation without the purpose and very clear answer is a no-go. Why? Because first, you don't know why you're doing this, this fantastic uh, multi-million project. But even more importantly, you cannot explain it to your people. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot explain it to your people, they don't see value of it for them. And if they don't see value of it for them, they never going to be your allies unless you force them and you make it their job description, which is not sustainable when it's not intrinsic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is absolutely critical first step. Step number two, I have to, you know, New York, you said, okay. I, I need to sit on my, my, my top floor, look at the horizon and yeah. say, okay, for the next three months, the, maybe not the only thing, but 80% of my time, working time, I will be talking about this transformation. <clears throat> I will not compromise on it. I will never doubt about it. I will be like a robot, you know, repeating and reinforcing importance and talking to my people in the elevator, I don't know, sorry, in the bathroom, during the lunch, in the canteen, during the meetings, town halls, everywhere. I will be the sponsor and ambassador of this transformation. No uh, exceptions. Uh, number three, what I would do is setting up the governance model, okay? Because all these innovation things, they sound so cool and nice, shiny mm -hmm. and, and perfect, if you think about SpaceX and stuff like that. But behind the surface, there is a very robust and thought-through governance model with all the processes, approvals, uh, who does what, prices, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I would need to do that, probably not alone, but with 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 my allies within the company. And by the way, I mentioned the word ally. I strongly recommend your audience to Google uh, the HBR. I think it's a, it's a free access, an HBR article about transformation of GE, General Electric. Yeah. And... It, it's, a, it's a fantastic article, but one of the most fascinating things that, that was there is that the CEO was so committed to the transformation that he said to his old friends who he worked with for years and decades, guys, you're either in or out. And it was super painful, but he understood that if key people don't share the same vision, and he keeps them in the company, the transformation is going to fail. I know it sounds like very aggressive and maybe a bit too much, but that's the way it is. And it was one of his key learnings. As a next step, and it's already over three months, I think, I will definitely uh, set up a proper team. And when I mean a proper team, it's like a couple of things. Cross-functional, definitely. Because I do believe, and I'm a big fan of this radical collaboration, mm. meaning when people collaborate across horizontally, vertically with clients, with customers, et cetera, et cetera. And definitely the 
team of uh, the best talents, meaning future leaders or current leaders that's going to in a talent pool of top management for the company. I would need to onboard them as soon as possible into the urge of this transformational change because A, they're committed, B, they're motivated, C, they're engaged, D, very important, they will be the future leaders of the company. Making sure this change transformation lasts and, you know, shines and thrives. And then my favorite mistake comes. Uh, if I wanted to do it properly, I would balance the portfolio of my transformational changes between quick wins, maybe small things, but things I can do tomorrow that bring visible results to the company. I don't know, you said digitalization, maybe. Uh, maybe improvement in some processes, maybe launching an innovative product, I don't know, depends, right? So I would balance the quick wins with really big ticket items, like, you know, vast, wide scale things. Why? Because if you have only big ones, right, transformational changes, it's going to come 10 years from now, five years from now, three years from now. You lose it. You lose the momentum, right? So small steps that lead you to the to the big thing. Um, so these are the things I would do, probably go beyond three months, but the agenda would look something like this. Mikola, let, let me highlight my favorites. The go one ahead. that you started at the beginning, um, the reason why we're doing the transformation. And yeah. the funny thing is that it's always overlooked because a lot of organizations come there with the same BS because of competition, because they're catching up. There is this atmosphere or this description of living a chaos with fear. So you are adding to the change that you want to implement and a dimension of fear where employees that are not onboarded. Um, and yeah. in fact, for me, this, this point is critical because that will determine your sense of purpose for the next 12 months or, 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 or so, more, why more. are you doing the things, but in an inspirational way, in a positive way, why are you, because people want to do great things, but not just because we're going to do things quicker or we are going to be number one in the world, it's because we are helping our communities, we are doing something that is above just the purpose of doing, selling what we sell, chocolates or or I drinks or whatever it is. Um, so the sense of purpose will be determined and that will create this intrinsic motivation that makes innovation sustainable. The, the second one that is also one of my favorites is the idea of collaboration. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because contrary to everything that we were told in our generation about competition is good, no. This when you are constantly watching your back because you know that your friend who is your colleague today is going to be jumping on whatever mistake you are going to be doing next, then you don't feel safe. This concept of not feeling safe at home, uh, at work, sorry, at home is also the same, uh, <laughs> um, is going to prevent you to, to dare to try new things. Uh, is going to limit you because you are going to be fearful of being judged all the time. That if you do a mi mistake, you are going to fail and people are going to point fingers to you. Um, and it's not going to be productive for any innovation. 
the more scared you are, the, 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 you don't produce innovation. And that is produced when you are working in an environment that is where there is extreme competition and there is no real collaboration. It, it means real collaboration is not giving a hand to someone, helping him on doing some, something. No, it is real collaboration is that we are on it together, doing re, trying to reach both of us a, a real objective. And we own the shit. We own this thing. And that's, I can give that's you an example if you want, Ivan, of, yes. of this radical collaboration, which I think is is a good example, and it's very much connected to the purpose. Um, you know, when 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 you are driven by financial metrics, I don't think there is room for collaborating with your competition. It's impossible. It's it's you have to beat the competition. As simple as that. Market share, volume, value, blah blah blah. However. If you are driven as a company, as a leader, by the purpose, there is a lot of room for collaboration. For instance, uh, Ukraine is at war these days, and Ukraine became a hub, a technological hub for military attack, in particular drones. I hope you don't follow these things. I follow because I am Ukrainian. Drones are playing pivotal role at the battlefield. Absolutely pivotal. And if five years ago, three years ago, even two years ago, I would be a jury at the startup event where I would see three drone companies, mostly for agriculture, pitching for financial support, uh, not support, raising, you know, rounds. And they would be competitors because the jury would give the, the, the financing to one of them, not to all of them. Now, being driven by the purpose of freeing our country from the invaders, they are uniting and they're doing those drones together. Mm. They are exchanging their IPs. They are opening up their, uh, you know, know-hows for their competitors. Mm. Because the sense of purpose in this particular case is way stronger than the economic or financial um, objectives, targets uh, that they have. And this is an extreme example, obviously, because we're talking about, you know, surviving here, right? But if you kind of extrapolate this logic to things like sustainability development goals, communities, um welfare and things like that there is room for collaboration trust me hmm. and this is it's very almost like this is where innovations get you know fueled indeed Mikula, i don't know if you if you have noticed we haven't talked about product or at all we don't we haven't even discussed really marketing we have talked about the innovation from the side of the enablers which is the humans that maybe the processes a little bit <laughs> and that's why i wanted to go back to my initial yes exactly i wanted to go back to my initial description of of you you are not the typical marketeer you are somebody who there is 
inside the box, there is outside the box, and there is another <laughs> universe called the Nicolas universe. I I'm love gonna, it. I'm in a different box. <laughs> <laughs> you destroy the box. the box. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long, it's a long topic, Ivan. We can talk forever. Trust me. <laughs> so many, so many interesting things, um, and they are so relevant to today. Seriously, because that's why I said, "Ah, look, come on." I'm not a, a a different type. Everyone has uh, ha has to have this innovation aspect in mm -hmm. their daily work and life as well. Be be it an HR person, be it a marketing person, a generalist, or or a financial guy. It is just impossible to sit there enjoying uh, the way it was done forever, mm. and it's boring, by the way, as well. And there is a psychological reason also because we all aspire to uh, to to be a better version of ourselves. No matters what we do, even if it is cleaning our houses or wh whatever, to do it always a little bit better is what make us is fulfilling the big the highest need that we uh, that we have self actualization and that's that's human psychology. You see, for some it's cleaning the house, for some it's buying the robot vacuum cleaner. <laughs> which Indeed. is a technological innovation and spending your freed time from cleaning the house to something else. Indeed, indeed. Mikola, um, I wanted to ask you, so if there is people who are interested about knowing a little bit more about yourself or having some tips from your side, how can they reach you out? Oh yeah, I would be I would be the happiest person in the world uh, connecting to people who are curious about you know change management, innovations, and things like that. Uh, the easiest way is just to connect with me on LinkedIn and DM me there. Uh, just drop me a, a message, and we'll find a way. I'm sure about that. Great. So I'm going to put the link to your uh, LinkedIn profile. Mikola, it was lovely to see you. And again, man, you haven't changed. <laughs> I haven't seen you for 12, 15 years, and you are still the same. Mikola, it was really Thank lovely. Thank you so much, Ivan, for inviting. It was a great pleasure. Thanks.